1: Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Proud to be here with you every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're enjoying your day, making the most out of your life and everything that you got going on. Hopefully all is going well and that you had yourself a tremendous weekend weekend we have a lot to get into on today's show. It's going to be absolutely tremendously insane to talk about some of the stuff that we have to talk about on today's show. I cannot even I can't I'm really I really can't. I can't even begin to describe this this week in the NFL was was topsy turvy upside down strange as it ever could be. And week three in the NFL. I feel like this happened last year and the year before, though. I think week three is is the weird week. So we're definitely going to have to get into that and decipher that and break that down a little bit here. But in just a few minutes, we're going to start off the show with something very special that we do on Monday. So let's hop into the morning menu so that you know what's coming up.
2: Here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We like to start off the show by giving you our menu of topics. The morning menu, that is. Live now with the morning menu is Dan Tortora.
1: The morning menu proudly brought to you by all the great partners that we have here at Wake up call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com and mixlr.com backslash wake up call dt. Always a pleasure to have you here on the broadcast every single Monday through Friday. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being a part of the show. It was a long weekend. It felt like a long weekend for me, which I, you know, hopefully it was for everybody else because long weekends means you got to relax, you got to have some fun, you got to take some time for yourself and for your loved ones. So hopefully. You got the sense of this being a long weekend so that you could have some fun and make the most of it. So I hope you had a great weekend. I hope everything went well. And Orange Avengers saying he felt like Johnny would be in here partying this morning because uh, Johnny is our resident Central New York Lions fan. And with him being the Lions fan and the Lions getting that dub that he would want to uh, want to <laughs> kind of spread the love and spread the cheer and give his thoughts on what's going on. But, yeah, there were some very strange games that happened this week. We're definitely going to get into that in the morning menu. We're going to do that in the second hour of the show. And this happened last year, too, right around week three. I, I don't know what it is, but I feel like right around this time period, is when some weird things start to happen. Yeah, there were some games last year that happened. It's around like week three, week four. Some weird stuff happens, and it did happen. Definitely did happen. uh, Last year at week three and this year at week three. Because I remember saying that like a broken record. I remember making that statement like, what's going on with week three? Why is week three so strange in the NFL? And here we are this time around in 2018, and week three is... Strange in the NFL once again. So we'll get into that in the second hour of the show. We'll start off the second hour of the show with On the Prowl, Jacksonville Jaguars coverage. Give you my thoughts on the Jaguars who were part of this weird week three of the NFL and we're on the wrong side of the weird week three in the NFL. So we'll discuss that in just a little bit in the second hour of the show. And we'll have our Monday morning quarterback on the broadcast, that is Marvin Graves, you know the terminology Monday morning quarterback. What that typically means is that there's fans out there that decide, you know, that's that give their thoughts on the games and what happened. And you're the Monday morning quarterback, right? You're the one talking about this, is what my team did, this, is what happened here, this, is what I saw. Well, I took that terminology, twisted it and manipulated it into something different, new and special, which is the Monday morning quarterback a Monday morning segment featuring an actual quarterback that played for Syracuse every Monday at 9.15 a.m. Eastern Time, and that's Marvin Graves. So our Monday morning quarterback is going to Monday morning quarterback this thing and give his thoughts on Syracuse at 4-0 right after this.
3: This is a wake-up call, Fast Break.
0: This is Jimer Sikowski, owner-operator of Chick-fil-A Cicero, 7916 Brewerton Road in Cicero, right in front of the Home Depot. I had a deep feeling that God wanted me to do something bigger with my life and to help people, help others. I kept putting Chick-fil-A in my life, and I realized as I was going through the franchise selection process that uh, positively impacting the lives of others it was really core to what we do here at Chick-fil-A. First of all, it starts with the food. The food is...
1: Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash wakeupcall. DT. Always proud to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time, hanging out here inside of the Internet stream that is on your phone, desktop, laptop, iPod, iP- iPad, whatever you have that gets the Internet, which everything does at this point. I'm surprised that pens don't get it. That we can't just think about it in our mind and it shows up there too. And kind of wait for it because it probably will happen. They'll put a chip in the brain and, say, and you'll just say, hey, I want to listen to Wake Up Call and boom, there it'll be. So hopefully that'll be healthy if they ever do something like that. But I appreciate you listening into the show, however you're listening, wherever you're listening. And every Monday morning we do the Monday morning quarterback. And what that means for you folks, you know the moniker Monday morning quarterback. It's when you wake up on Monday morning and you give your thoughts and your analysis of what happened in college football or professional football or whatever it may be. Well, our Monday morning quarterback's a little interesting twist because our Monday morning quarterback is actually a quarterback who's here on Monday mornings at 9:15 a.m. Eastern Time and that is Marvin Graves who wore number 5 and wore it well. And I got the opportunity to meet him last year inside of the Carrier Dome, and I appreciate the fact that since we met that day and did a little interview that day, we've kept in touch with one another. He's been on the show, and now he's with you every single Monday morning. So, with that being said, Marvin, how are we doing today?
4: Oh, doing great, Dan. Doing great. Um, you know, great weekend, great football weekend. The Q's won, my Redskins won, uh, a lot of upsets. So, um, feeling great this morning amongst the rain.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and to me, it's absolutely crazy that, uh, you know, the the weekend that, that was, and we'll get into the NFL in just a little bit here, but I do want to talk about this Syracuse Orange team. The Syracuse Orange are undefeated at 4-0 and for the first time since 1991 that the Syracuse Orange can say that they've been undefeated. First time since 1990, that they could say they were 4-0 first time since 19. 19- 91 27 years ago. The last time it happened, the team defeated Vanderbilt at home, Maryland on the road, home against Florida, and then at Tulane in that order. Florida was ranked 5th in the country at the time. That was back in 1991. The team went 4-0. and a span of 27 years. This time around, they defeated Western Michigan on the road and then in a row at home, Wagner, Florida State, and UConn to begin the 2018 campaign. Let's start there. It's been almost three decades since Syracuse has been 4-0. Thoughts on this year's team and, and thoughts on finally breaking a very long streak that wasn't a good one for Syracuse?
4: Well, I'm definitely proud of... Uh... Coach Babers, and I want to apologize. I, b- I believe last week I was using favors instead of Babers, so I apologize to uh, Coach F- Babers for that. Um, but I'm, I'm proud of these guys, and I think that, um, you know, they're playing hard, they're playing fast, and this, this unit just seems like a team. It's, it, it just seems like what you want to call a team from what I see, and and I just think that you see, like I said on the show last week, we're a division of this this program, and we're favors, favors
1: is trying to take this program, and I, I'm just proud. Yeah, you know, and, the, and this team, there's been so many things, you know, this season they've just been able to do what they need to do. Now, granted, they played Wagner, and they played a Florida State team that's down, and they played a UConn team. You know, these are games they are supposed to win, and Wester, well, definitely – UConn, Wagner, and Western Michigan, and then Florida State was the question mark game, but does anything get taken away from the team? Because to me, I don't think you could take anything away from a team that fought to 4-0, and but from the outside looking in, there's always people trying to take something away, and so they're saying, listen, Wagner's nothing, UConn's nothing, Western Michigan didn't do much of anything against Michigan, and Florida State's down this year, so even though Syracuse is 4-0, and there's the outside looking in saying, hey... You know, these weren't big-time games, beat somebody that matters. How would you respond to that as a Syracuse alum?
4: Well, I think, you know, you say that people say that, you know, games that you should win. And I was one of the guys that, that was thinking, you know, Syracuse did what they were supposed to do against UConn. But I think we gotta respect the other teams because those coaching staffs, those players, they they work hard, they game plan, and you know they step between the lines, and anything can happen. Look at uh, Old Dominion knocking off Virginia Tech. So I think you know it, it's it, it's a slight disrespect to what Syracuse has going on right now through four weeks. Um, if you go around the country, even if right up there in Syracuse and up upstate New York, if you Said that we were going to be four and zero. How many people really felt like we were going to be four and zero? So um, I, I don't. I don't think that you could take any team lightly. Um, I think that you know everybody goes out and practices. Everybody goes out and, and puts in a game plan to attack uh, the other team weaknesses. And I think Syracuse has executed for four weeks, and they need to be respected for that.
1: Speaking here with Marvin Graves in our segment on Wake Up Call with Dan Satora Monday morning, quarterback on Monday mornings at nine fifteen a.m. Eastern Time, featuring Syracuse quarterback Marvin Graves. Marvin, you wore number five. You know that's an important number. Forty-four, obviously, is the one that's talked about all the time, but five has been extremely special as well. I want to I want to step off of the four and zero feeling for Syracuse for a second to speak on your number because another number was retired this past weekend that wasn't 44 speak with me on on number five and what number five has meant to you
4: well um i I started wearing number fives uh my senior year in in high school and um a lot of people don't really even know this story um Seven is my favorite number. Five was my second favorite number. And the reason why I wore five my senior year in high school, it was a running back named Richard Dickens, who was a year ahead of me. And very good running back. Uh, he ended up going to Delaware State, uh, something like that. But definitely Division One talent. And I saw him with a Syracuse hat on uh, one day. I think I was a junior. He was a senior. Um, and I was like, wow, Syracuse has a football team? And that's actually the first time that I really realized that Syracuse had a football team and I started following. Um, But Richard Dickens wore number five, and he was all metropolitan, uh, had a great year for us. And I started wearing number five because I felt like it was a good number for me, and I felt like Richard Dickens had success with it. So I took that number and ran with it.
1: And so you having that number, speaking about taking it and running with it, after you, Donovan Donovan McNabb took it and ran with it as well, what do you think about the the lineage of, of number five and then just you and Donovan alone, how well you both wore that number? Uh,
4: it's great. Like, Donovan McNabb, like, I couldn't be more proud, um, you know, when, when I left Syracuse and, you know, Kevin Mason took over for a year for Donovan. And then when, once Donovan started playing, um, I've always tried to catch every Syracuse game that I could. But I really felt like, you know, he took the torch that was passed on to me from uh, all the Syracuse great, Don McPherson, uh, Bill Shaw was there when I was there. Um, Todd Philcox. Um, The list goes on and on. So I felt like um, I had to live up to what was already put in place for myself and the rest of my teammates. The foundation was laid, and we needed to to take that torch and make those guys proud. I felt like we did that for the most part. But seeing Donovan take take that torch and carry it the way he carried it, like, he, he he really made us proud. And I, I, I would try to make sure I caught every game that he played in because, you know, he, he's an Orangeman.
1: And when we look at, you know, what Donovan was, was able to do in his time, obviously special, and that was honored by Syracuse, I want to look to your time, you know, and, and what you did while you were with the Syracuse Orange. You played from 1990 through 1993. You brought Syracuse from independent, Into the Big East, and we've discussed this a little bit here. But the team was seven four and two in your first season, in your second season ten and two, then ten and two, and then six four and one. So you know your team was used to winning big time games, and you won. 20 games in two seasons and everything that you were able to do at the quarterback position on top of all of that, you know, helping the team win, but also what you were able to do as a quarterback for the team. Just what you can say about your history at Syracuse and your thoughts on your history at Syracuse because you had almost 9,000 yards passing. You ended with 48 touchdowns. I mean, even though your jersey's not hanging up there from the rafters, just what you can say about what you've done and and what you brought to the Syracuse Orange, because I think, in my opinion, and Joe Morris deservedly so, should be up there, but I think there should be more than just a few jerseys up there.
4: Well, yeah, I think that, um, you know, the guys that are up in the rafters deserve to be in the rafters. I don't really put put too much into uh, if my jersey is not retired or anything like that. Um, my my time at Syracuse, you know, looking back on it was was a great experience. It was the right choice uh, of schools, you know, coming out of high school. I knew nothing about um, the process of going to college. and so it was a really nervous time going away from home um when i when I got to Syracuse, you know, end up redshirting. There were about five or six quarterbacks there. Um, so what what I can say about my time there, um, the coaching staff, Ivan Fears recruited me out of d c. Um, the coaching staff, um the players that that came in, when I came in, Um, I just think they did a great job of taking, you know, that class and the kids that were on the team at that time um, and molding us. We were ready. We were ready for every single football game. There was nothing that a team could show us that we wasn't prepared for. And they put us in positions to actually go out and play. And I just think the camaraderie that we had while we were there – we, we we hung out off the field, um, you know, we didn't walk around campus like we were the big men on campus, we, we just hung out with everybody and we just had good chemistry off the field. We worked hard in practice. And I just think they made us a tough football team and we believed in ourselves. So um, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I think that, again, it was the right decision for me to make um, as a teenager coming out of high school not really knowing anything about college ball, not even thinking that I could play college football, and then to go to Syracuse and actually start for four years—it um, was a blessing. I mean, I, I only missed two football games. I think my freshman year was shoulder injury, but you know, at 180 pounds or whatever it was, I got to Syracuse. I was 168 pounds. So for a kid that small to go to a big school. Um, and have success, it wasn't all me. It was the coaching staff and the teammates that I had around me that made me a better football player. So um, it, it was a team effort. So the camaraderie, um, being prepared, uh, being pushed past limits that you really didn't know that you had in yourself, You know, I owe that all to the coaching staff and, and my teammates.
1: Speaking here with Marvin Graves in our special segment on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Monday morning quarterback every Monday morning with our quarterback, Marvin Graves. Marvin, you know, you said it. You were 168 pounds when you came into Syracuse. And uh, think about a kid that size to come to a school like Syracuse to be successful. Joe Morris, I can't help but make the connection here. He said, I was 170 pounds when I came into Syracuse. And he made the statement to me. He's like, I'm 170 pounds. He's 5'7". He said, I wanted to run for a thousand yards in my career at Syracuse. He said, if I got a degree in four years at Syracuse and rushed for a thousand yards total, I would have been happy. My dad would have been happy. He ran for over a thousand yards in three of four seasons. So instead of doing it once in four seasons, he did it in three out of four seasons, one season going over 1300 yards. Number 47 is in the rafters. What do you think about that? i think it's a long time coming i think i mean he played about a decade before you i am i am surprised that this moment took so long but now his jersey is up there so what do you think about that he was almost the same weight as you so you mentioned that coming in here i'm not a big guy he wasn't a big guy either and he wanted to get a thousand yards in his career at syracuse and he got a thousand yards 75 percent of the time instead well
4: i think it's great i think it's it's been a long time coming um you know i won't say joe should have been up in the rafters because i don't make those decisions and i know uh the people that do make those decisions they have uh, a ton of things to do that i know nothing about so um, i'm happy to see that he's up in the rafters and it just goes to show it's not the size of the dog in the fight it's the fight in the dog and if you have the will uh to be great um and, and put the work in um it just shows you, you can go past whatever your limits are. And again, you have to give the coaching staff and, um, you have to give the coaching staff the credit because, um, yeah, players go out and play. But, you know, the Syracuse teams going back in history have been prepared to play and been pushed past their limits. So, um, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, he's up in the rafters. Um, you know, there's a lot of other players that that could be up there. There there only could be so many. Um, but but the thing about it is, even for myself, when you when your peers and you know that your peers respect you as a football player, respect the things that you have done um, at Syracuse. The fans respect what what you have done and and the joy that you've brought them you know that that that's what it's all about and if you if you're able to get your name raised in the rafters like my boy Lawrence Moten it's just a proud moment
1: and, and something that you know those guys deserve and will never be forgotten that coming from Marvin Graves Marvin to to look to go back onto the field and look at this team at 4 and 0 where they stand right now they're moving to a two two game road game stint at Clemson and at longtime rival Pittsburgh but before we get there, let's go here. Eric Dungy ends this game. He doesn't have to play the whole game. Syracuse has played in such a way this season that Dungey does not have to be out there when he is healthy and is capable of uh, finishing up the game. They don't ask him to have to do that because the team has a capable backup quarterback in Tommy DeVito and they've been able to do what they need to do. Dungey finished the game against UConn 21 for 27, 77.8% completion percentage, 286 yards passing, two passing touchdowns no interceptions, and 16 rush attempts for 77 yards, which is about five yards a carry, and three rushing touchdowns. So five touchdowns on the day, almost 80% completion percentage, almost five yards per carry, no interceptions, mistake-free football. Thoughts on Eric Dungy in this most recent game?
4: I mean, the kid's a baller, man. Um, you know, if you, want, if you want somebody to line up behind the center, he's tough as nails, um, he's smart. Um, he's relentless, and I, I just think he's gotten better since he's been there. Um, it, it, it's fun to watch him play because the, the kid is fearless. and The kid is fearless, and I want guys out there that are not afraid to make mistakes, that are not afraid to make the big play, and that are just gamers, that are tough. And, and that's just what I see at the quarterback position. He's tough. And then you got a guy coming off the bench that – you know, had a chance to win, help win a football game. And now the team knows that our leaders, whether, you know, Dungeon's in there or DeVito's in there, that we can still win. So um, tough, tough kid, man. I I, I love watching him play. And, um, you know, I think this this will be a week that you'll see him show up as well.
1: And this week, you know, we talk about momentum and some people, this is a funny thing, momentum in sports and momentum in sports go hand in hand. Some people think that there is no such thing as momentum. And I think those people probably have never played a sport nor have watched many sports out there because momentum is to me a very, very real thing. Let's speak on momentum. What do you think about first and foremost as a former player? momentum and its importance, and then going into this game against Clemson that Syracuse just won by 30, they didn't win a close, like because Syracuse in the past, if they had beaten UConn or beaten Wagner, whatever, Villanova in recent history, they go to overtime, they beat them by three, they beat them by two, it's 24-23 against UConn, 24-21 against UConn, something like that. They're not only beating the teams that they're quote-unquote supposed to beat, but they went and played UConn and defeated UConn by more points than UConn scored. UConn had 21; they beat them by 30. So Syracuse is making a statement, and I think that you have to with the teams that you know that you can. I mean, on paper, yes, you know they they they're supposed to win that game over UConn. But the way that they did it, and what I'm what I'm trying to say here is, they didn't play down to the competition. They played the way that they played. And I think that taking a 30-point victory is the best way to go against Clemson. So let's speak about momentum and what they're doing right now and if this team, in your opinion, has a shot in Death Valley.
4: Well, they definitely have a shot. Um, You know, Clemson is a a very good football team, has a great tradition, but so do we. And, um, you know, like you said, going back to, you know, almost three decades ago, Um, I was part of that 91 team that knocked off Florida in the dome. Um, And and we just believed. So when you talk about momentum, when you start getting momentum, you you have people buying in to what the system is. You have people believing that um, we can score touchdowns. You have the defense believing that we can stop a high-powered offense if we play assignment-sound football. So momentum is basically – the team executing and team making plays and now we believe that we can win football games and i think right now we believe and yeah we're going up against big bad clemson but guess what we're going to game plan like we did for the, for Wagner. We're going to game plan like we did for Western Michigan. We're going to respect our opponent, but we're going down there for a win. So I think we're right where we want to be because a lot of people down there don't believe that we can win this football game, but Dino Favors has been doing it for the last three years. We talked about it last week. Three big upsets in three years, so what's next? So now we're going to have two big upsets, and – in three years, so that, that's what I'm predicting for this week.
1: That coming from Marvin Graves. Marvin, you brought it up 27 years ago as the last time Syracuse went four and O to start the season, and you were the quarterback of that team that season. It was your second season with the Syracuse Orange. You're there from '90 90 to '93. So in this season, I mean, you didn't know back then, obviously it was going to be almost three decades, but when you look at that and how much time has happened in between and how many quarterbacks have been between yourself and Eric Dungy, the Ryan Nassibs that set records and the Donovan McNabs and, and so on and so forth, when you look at, 27 years in between. What can you say about that 1991 team and what was so special about it because you were the last team to go 4 and 0 to start off the season?
4: I mean, it, it was a magical year. I felt like um you know, we we could have did, we could have done, we could have won at least one more game this year. So, as a competitor, I always look back, yeah, it was a great year, but I felt like we let the fans down because I really felt like we could have at least won one more game um, that year. Um, Paul Pasqualone was was the first his first year being a head coach, coming from being the defensive uh, coordinator or the linebacker coach, I believe. So that was his first year. We can't let Paul down. So it was a magical year. Um, you put in the work. You don't know what's going to happen on Saturdays, but we just believed at the end of the game that we were going to win. And um, that's just what I remember about that year. Um, I think it was a great hire uh, when Dick McPherson and Ivan Fears went to the New England Patriots, um, hiring hiring within. I think they hired the right guy. We had George DeLeon as the offensive coordinator. Um, so I just felt like uh, we still had a nucleus of what we were already doing. We were already bought into. So... Um, that was a great job keeping uh, Paul Pasqualone so the system stayed the same. And I just think we were – everybody was hungry. Our team was hungry. Our coaching staff was hungry. And um, I think if, even if you look back to the coaching staff back then, some of those guys are still coaching today. NFL and college football, Paul Pasqualone, um, uh, Randy Etzel, um Ivan Fears. The list goes on and on. Uh, Bob Casulo. Uh, so I mean it was a magical year, um, and Syracuse just had a great tradition. You appreciate it more um, as the years go by.
1: That coming from Marvin Graves, and like you said, you appreciate it more as the years go by. Did you ever think that? It, and I would, I would imagine you didn't. But twenty-seven years between the you, you going four and zero as the quarterback in '91, mm-hmm. and then it happening with the help of Tommy DeVito and Eric Dungey working together at quarterback to do it. I'm I'm sure that the way Syracuse was riding the wave back then, that it, that you didn't think it would take 27 years to get back to this point.
4: I didn't. I didn't. But it just, you know, I, I just give respect to college football. There's, there's just, I feel like there's a lot of parity in college football that goes to the recruiting, um, you know, players uh, going to different places, players staying home. So I think a lot of different programs have gotten a lot better. So I don't think that uh, we didn't have a quality team uh, for those years, but people got to realize the first the, the first three, every week is tough. But the first three weeks to me in a football season are really, really tough because you're trying to find your identity. Yeah, it looks like this on paper, but when you actually go out there and play the games, those first three weeks, I think, says a lot about what, what direction the team is going in. So um, I think we had quality teams back there. I just think, you know, we, there was quality teams all across the country. And, you know, that's, that's why I said earlier, I think we really got to respect the Orange and where they are right now. We don't know what's going to happen Saturday. But for the first four weeks, you know, these guys have shown that they've improved every week. Sure, there's still some things that need to be shored up, uh, third down conversions, um, you know, things like that. But I'd rather be sitting at four and zero than two and two, trying to make those corrections.
1: Absolutely, and you bring up a good point there. You know, sitting at four and zero instead of two and two. When you were at four and zero. You defeated some pretty, you know, obviously the big that big time game, number five ranked team in the country, Florida. That game was at home, an SEC team. You beat them, 38 to 21. You and and in that game, 38 to 21 in the matchup. This was another one of those games where you didn't win by a little bit. You didn't barely beat them. You didn't beat them on a last second field goal or a safety or overtime, whatever it may be. You beat them 38 to 21 by almost 20 points in the game. What do you remember about? that Florida game and that big-time matchup that you had with Florida inside of the Carrier Dome on September 21st, which, mind you folks, that was almost 27 years to the date of what Syracuse just went 4-0 now. That Florida game was on September 21st, 1991. So bring me into that game.
4: Oh, man. Um, the, the, the fans. I just remember... I don't know what it was. I think the game was on ABC. and It just seemed like the dome was brighter that day to me. Like there was more light in the dome. I don't know what it was. I just remember um, coming out for warm-ups and then going back in. And then when we actually came out for kickoff, it, it just seemed brighter in there. And then, I mean... It was so electric in there. To be honest with you, I didn't know we were going to run the reverse on the kickoff. And the roar of the crowd, I think, when Kirby Dada turned the corner. um, When I turned around, I don't know what I was doing on the bench. And I just heard the roar of the crowd and saw Kirby Dada going down the sideline. I just knew that it was our day. I knew that it was our day, and I felt like we had a great game playing in against Florida. I felt like we were more physical than them, but they didn't know that. And um, so I remember that about that day, and I lost a lot of respect for Coach Spurrier um, that day as well because he made a comment after the game that, like, the dome was overrated. And I'm like, for for a coach to say that after basically getting whooped, you know, I lost a lot of respect for him because we, we physically whooped Florida that day, and he was a sore loser.
1: Yeah, you know, and and that's the thing is you go back to that, like Steve Spurrier, and you and you made that statement of, you know, how could you say that that the Dome is overrated, but he was a sore loser. You know, what did it mean to you? Because Steve Spurrier's career has been relatively – I mean, it's very well known. To some people it's tremendous. He didn't end the way that he – You know, wanted to, I'm sure, with, you know, playing South Carolina and whatnot. But just what you can say about beating a coach like that and then looking back at that coach's history, that was a tremendous win then and it's a tremendous win today.
4: Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, You know, you go into a game and you first get the game plan from the coach and you start looking through, you know, personnel and the size of the players and, I look at the year, whether they're freshman, sophomore, senior. Um, but when I look at that game plan and saw the defense that they ran, I, I just felt like they ran, I think, like a 4-4, and they played a lot of man coverage. And I just felt like what our receivers, Shelby Hill, Quadra Ishmael, Chris Gedney, Terry uh, Farrell, Antonio Johnson, our running back, Dave Walker. Um, we had Doug Womack uh, coming in the game a versatile player that a lot of people don't talk about. Played defense, special teams, came in at quarterback to run the option. But I felt like our system up against that 4-4 scheme, I really felt like they couldn't stop us.
1: And Florida did not win that game, obviously, back in 1991. That 4-0 start for you. uh, Speak with me. We're talking here in Monday Morning Quarterback with Marvin Graves, Syracuse quarterback in the history of the Syracuse record books. We'll get to those record books in just a second. But Vanderbilt at Maryland and at Tulane. Tell me about those three games because the team started out 4-0. So bring me into those games, What you remember from Vandy in the SEC. Maryland was ACC at the time and Tulane was independent. Uh,
4: I think the Vandy game, if I can remember correctly, I, I think a lot of guys are, are really nervous before the game and and really don't put on or or, or let on to say that they're, you know, kind of nervous. And I think that's more so, you know, more because you're afraid to fail um, and you're excited about the moment. Uh, The Vandy game, um, I think it was one of those games that I can't really remember the score, but it's one of those games that you would have have wanted to win like Syracuse won against UConn. And I felt like we won the game, but we could have did so much more. I, that's what I remember about the Vandy game. Um, the next in line was Maryland, so that was a homecoming for me. So I really wanted to come home and play well, and you know, show Maryland that they let a kid locally get out of out of the area. And um, it was a decent football game. I think I had a few turnovers that game. Um, I was playing against um, alum, one of the linebackers was one of my running backs in high school, so I'm playing against a buddy, and um, we won the game. Shelby Hill had a big punt return that pretty much closed the door on Maryland, uh, so that was that was a tough tough road win. Uh, going back home to my home home uh, town just outside of DC, a lot of people were there to watch, so I remember being, you know, a little nervous and really wanting to do well. Um, but we won the game, so um, that, that was a great, great moment. Um, the Tulane game, uh, I, I really remember getting hit a lot in that game, and I was kind of pissed off at uh, my lineman because they were having a great time. Uh, we were winning the ball game, and I just remember uh, being a little upset that uh, I was taking those hits. But, you know, uh, again, other teams practice, other teams uh, game plan, and a lot of times the teams game plan it to hit me as many times as we could because of the offense that we ran, the freeze option. So um, every, every week has its own storyline. And I, I just remember us always sticking together, always believing. That's that's the one thing I can remember about this coaching, the coaching staff and, and the players that I played with.
1: So you go back to that, and you started off 4-0 in 1991, the last time Syracuse did it. It's been talked about over and over ever since Syracuse defeated UConn this weekend, but we get to talk about it with the quarterback that helped make this happen, helped facilitate this. Now, Florida State was ranked top in the country back then, and they defeated you in that fifth game. So even though Florida State's not the same Florida State, the same ranked team as they were back in 1991, you started out 4-0. Syracuse has started out 4-0 here in 2018. Does it make you feel good that that fifth game of 1991 you lost and Syracuse was able to defeat that same team in Florida State? Did, did it give you a little extra smile, so to speak, that Florida State was part of this 4-0 start for Syracuse after losing to them back in
4: 1991? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. Uh, a little redemption. Um and I think we just got to be clear here um, to the Syracuse nation. No one respects us. Let's be clear. I'm down here in D.C. and a lot of people know that I went to Syracuse and whether it's basketball or football, you know, I got buddies that went to different schools, buddy that buddies that didn't go to school. But every time they see Syracuse losing or doing bad, they have something to say to me. I haven't seen any of these guys since the 4-0 start. No one talks about Syracuse. So let's be clear. People don't respect us around the country. And I think we're in a great position to be that team that sneaks up on people. And I think think that we should go down there, and we're going to go down there, and we're going to fly around because no one expects us to win this game. And I think that's a great position to be in because if Clemson thinks that they're just going to walk all over Syracuse, I'm glad that they think that way. Because once you step between the white lines, uh, it, it's a different ball game. And I, I just believe that, you know, we as a as a, as a Syracuse nation, um, I think the players and the coaching staff, I think they know this. But I'm, I'm just here to tell you, people don't respect this. And the only way you earn respect is to go out and get wins.
1: And you know what, it makes perfect sense. And what you're saying is is something that, you know, I've definitely felt. And I found it interesting growing up. Is that you know coming from Syracuse, New York, born and raised? That when the, and you just spoke on it. When Syracuse loses, everybody wants to call you up and say, "Oh, what happened? What happened? What's going on? What happened?" But when Syracuse wins and Syracuse is rolling and Syracuse isn't supposed to be in the NCAA tournament, but they're in the tournament and they're not supposed to win this bowl game in Texas, but they won that last bowl game over Minnesota. When this, that, and the other thing happens, you know, it, it, it's funny to me how when Syracuse wins everybody shuts up and it's dead silence because it's like everybody wants you to forget what they said. But when Syracuse loses, they want to tell you. And I always found that hysterical growing up around the world of sports and being a sports fan is that when Syracuse does well, it's radio silence. When Syracuse doesn't do well, everybody wants to come out and talk about it.
4: Well, that just shows you that this tradition here. That shows you that um, there's people worried about us doing well. They're happy to see when we're not doing well because we have so much great, rich tradition. You know, it goes way back, you know, the Jim Browns, the Art Monks, um, uh, the Larry Zonkas. It goes on and on and on. We got newscasters. We have have actors, actresses. You know, we have singers. Um, So there's so much tradition at Syracuse that uh, I think people are a little jealous. They're a little jealous, and I don't know why because we're no different than any other university that's trying to be great. And um, I I just feel like, you know, right now, this team, we're in a great position um, being the underdog. And I'm happy, and I can't
1: wait. I can't wait to the upset this weekend. That coming from Marvin Graves, Monday morning quarterback. He's saying upset this weekend. Marvin, what makes you believe that Syracuse can get this one over Clemson in Death Valley. Now, mind you, they played a very, very close game when A.J. Long was the quarterback of the team just uh, in recent history here over in Death Valley, played a game where the offense couldn't seem to score, but the defense more than did their job in that situation. What do you think about Syracuse going back down there? They defeated Clemson inside of the Carrier Dome this past season when Clemson was the reigning national champion, what makes you believe that they could get their number for the second year in a row and do this one in Death Valley, which is allegedly one of the toughest places to play in college football?
4: But, hey, where else would you want to go? I mean, if you ask any of those players, any of those coaches, and it's no disrespect to the home crowd, but when you go on the road, all you have is yourselves. You don't have to worry about too much. We'll call. Uh, getting tickets, uh, your friends—you're you're a little bit more focused on the road, and then you're going to one of the best venues in in the country. Uh, my godson is uh, a sophomore at St. John's High School here locally, and he's uh, he's wanted to go to Clemson pretty much all his life, and he, now he's in position. He's being recruited by everyone, and he wants to go to Clemson. I mean, who wouldn't want to play in Death Valley? Who wouldn't want to get a win in Death Valley? So, if you can, and I'm going to quote the late Dom uh, Dick McPherson: If you disregard all extraneous stimuli and focus on the on the game at hand, there is some weaknesses somewhere there, both defensively and offensively, in special teams that can be exploited. So, if you focus on the game at hand and step out there with a belief that they can win they can do it they did it last year now it wasn't Death valley it's a different football team it's a different year but so are we a different football team you know so I believe that we can win because we already beat them before and I believe that Death valley is a great place I respect it but I feel like they need to be worried about us
1: That coming from Marvin Graves. And Marvin Graves, what what do you think, being worried about Syracuse, what are the best things that Syracuse is doing right now, in your opinion?
4: Playing fast. I just think offensively, we put a lot of pressure uh, on defenses, and it's going to be crucial for us to go down there and play that way. Play fast, play mistake-free football. Um, Defense and special teams are going to be key. So I think this is a week that You know, all three phases, all three phases have to be on top of their game uh, to win this football game. And and again, I think if Clemson, in their mind, if they're thinking at all, if they're not giving Syracuse any respect, I think people are going to be shocked at what the outcome is going to be.
1: And so, you know, be ready for your opponent. That's another thing that that comes up in all of this, to be ready for your opponent in Syracuse. Coming into Death Valley, riding the high of momentum, getting the job done, doing what they need to do, and not just winning these games, but winning them handily, which we haven't seen Syracuse do in a very long time. Marvin, before I let you go, I, I asked a few poll questions out there that have to do with the NFL, and I want to get your thoughts I asked what will end up happening, and and anybody can vote in these polls if you go to Twitter at CallDT, C-A-L-L, like call on the phone, C-A-L-L, D-T, CallDT, go on to Twitter and vote in these polls. What will end up happening with Le'Veon Bell? Give your thoughts by placing your vote. I said he'll be traded, he'll play six games to become a free agent or a long-term deal with Pittsburgh. 77% think he'll be traded, 19% think he'll play that minimum amount he has to play to be a free agent next season and four percent say that he'll have a long-term deal with Pitt what do you think is going to happen with Le'Veon Bell in your opinion
4: wow Uh, that's a great question first of all I'm shocked that um, you know Le'Veon hasn't been been signed um, but but that's from a, a fan perspective Um, When when you look at the business side of it, um, you know, running backs are really come a dime a dozen now. Le'Veon is, is to me, definitely one of the top two or three backs in the league, if not the best. Um, So so I'm kind of shocked that Pittsburgh hasn't signed him, which leads me to believe that there's a little more uh, behind the scenes that may be going on. Pittsburgh may know something about Le'Veon that we don't know, I don't know. But in my opinion, I think he's looking for a trade. Um, I think he's looking to be traded. I think that he will look to be traded within the division so that he can play against the Steelers. That's just what I think is going to happen. So he may end up in Cleveland or or Baltimore or even Cincinnati. I don't know if they can can make it happen, but I'm, I'm thinking that at this point he wants to be traded. And I think he would want to be traded within a division. Now, the flip side of it is, um, another way I look at it is, um, maybe Le'Veon will come back. And he's just resting up just to get to the playoffs. You know, so, um, you know, the wear and tear on his body, he's fresh, he's in shape. So maybe maybe they will sign him. I think it's a slim chance, but I just feel like a superstar like that, you um, At this point, I feel like he's on his way out the
1: door. I would have to agree with that as well. Speaking here with Marvin Graves, Monday morning quarterback. Our Monday morning quarterback is a quarterback. Syracuse history, and the last time Syracuse went undefeated in their first four games was with the man Marvin Graves. Uh, A couple more polls here. What team do you think makes the most sense for Le'Veon Bell? I chose four teams that going through the entire NFL, I, I trust my analysis. I looked at all 32 teams. And the ones that made the most sense to me that need help at running back are the Jets, the Colts, the Buccaneers, and the Seahawks. Right now, the voting is is somewhat close, getting closer, but 41% say the Colts. If he is to be traded, where do you think he would make the best fit of maybe those teams or another team that you could think of? The Jets have Isaiah Crowell and Bilal Powell Tampa Bay Buccaneers have Peyton Barber and the Ronald Jones draft pick doesn't look like it made sense Rashad Penny's not doing much in Seattle and in Indianapolis Marlon Mack hasn't been able to become that starter and Jordan Wilkins even though he's taken the carries hasn't branched out and looked like he could be an every down back so what do you think about if Le'Veon is traded what would make the most sense uh
4: I like the coats and the Buccaneers. Um, I like the coats probably the most um, for On and, and and any of the football players. Well, number one, you got Andrew Luck there. Um, number two, you know what the weather's going to be like half of the season um, at home. So you, you know you're going to be playing inside a dome. You know what type of surface you're going to have. <clears throat> so I think uh, as an older one of the older veteran backs in the league. I think that's something that he could possibly look at. Um, I like Tampa because, you know, you got two quarterbacks down there. You got a ton of weapons on the outside. So I think, you know, defenses will really have to pick their poison with, with Tampa Bay. Uh, you may get two high safeties. Um, because if you come down, you got Deshaun Jackson, you got Evans, you got Howard. Um, You got guys that can run crazy in the secondary, so I think that's a place that he could possibly face uh, two high safeties because of the weapons on the outside. So um, I I would say those two are probably the best two possible spots uh, for him. I would love to see him uh, down here in Washington. We have AP, but um, I don't don't think AP is is Le'Veon Bell.
1: No, and I would agree with you on that. The last one I have for you is kind of an interesting one here. With Jimmy Garoppolo and everything going on getting carted off the field, should the San Francisco 49ers finally write the ship to, in some people's minds and call Colin Kaepernick? To come back and take over. This started out yes, switched to no. And as of this morning, 56% said yes, call Colin Kaepernick if you're San Fran. 44% said no. One guy was really pissed off in one of his replies that anybody would say yes. What do you think about it?
4: I'm sorry, I couldn't hear the last part. I
1: I I heard Colin Kaepernick. Oh, no, that's okay. I said I said, uh, with Colin Kaepernick, there is the notion that with Jimmy Garoppolo being carted off the field that Colin Kaepernick should come back and have an opportunity with the Niners and essentially erase all this stuff that happened in, in, in between in the middle here and, uh, and essentially make peace with Colin Kaepernick and let him be the guy going out there because what they have behind Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of slim pickings 56% right now say yes, call Colin Kaepernick if you're San Fran. 44% say no. It's gone back and forth between yes and no from last night. And uh, what I said was one one person responded very negatively toward Colin Kaepernick. But the overwhelming, the majority right now, I shouldn't say overwhelming, but the slight majority goes to Colin Kaepernick. What do you think about this?
4: Um, I think in this situation, I'm a lean with the 44%. And say, no, I don't think San Fran uh, is, a, is a good place for him to come back. Um, and, and let me just say this. You know, with all this talk about Colin Kaepernick, um, all he did was take a knee in a quiet protest against injustice. And I just think it shows what what, what has happened with it. it. It just shows what where our nation is as far as race relations. All the guy did was take a knee. social injustice. That's all he did. And I think it's been blown up to um, him disrespecting um, the flag and he didn't disrespect the flag. He stood up for injustice. And if people can't see that, then again, it just shows where we are as far as race relations on the whole in this country. But um, I I don't think that's a good spot for him to come back. I honestly don't feel like Colin Kaepernick is going to play football again.
1: And that is an unfortunate, and like you said, and we've talked about it on the show before with numerous different people and numerous voices have said this, it's not about the flag, it wasn't about the flag, it was never about the flag, it was about social injustice and police brutality, and it was done during the flag, I can only imagine, because he knew that people would be watching and that people would see it, and and if you're going to have a protest that you want to matter, you want people to have as many eyes on it as possible, as possible it was peaceful it was never against the flag you see in the nike commercial that the flag is behind him and he's standing up so you know this this was never meant to disrespect People in the military. It was never meant to disrespect freedom or disrespect the country. It was actually the opposite. It was to say, if freedom is free and for everybody, then why can't it be for everybody? So, you know, and one of our listeners just said Trump turned it into the flag, and we're not trying to get political here, but you know, there there is a lot to be said about you know what the uh, the Oval Office did to get involved with this. So, Colin Kaepernick is he the best quarterback out there? No. Is he a starter on? the majority of the NFL teams right now? I don't think so. But is he more than good enough to be a backup and in an emergency situation to come in? I I definitely think so in that respect. And last year with all the injuries that happened, to not have Colin Kaepernick come back was very suspect hence why he has his case that he's making right now. So it's a tough situation, it's sad, and uh, it should not, and I hope it doesn't, show any kids in our world that if you stick up for what you believe in, that you'll have your dreams taken away from you. I really hope that that's not what people learn from this and what people take away from this, and I commend him for standing up for what he believes in peacefully because, as I remind people all the time, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, there's a lot of people that do things Not peacefully and responds in such a way that is not peacefully. And at least this man had the response where he was like, "Okay, you know what? I don't agree with this. I don't like this, but I'm not going to put a gun in the air. I'm not going to take a knife out. I'm not going to burn a torch. I'm not going to flip a car. I'm going to do this peacefully and I think that that gets lost in the shuffle of all of this. Is whether you agree with him or disagree with him, hopefully nobody can listen to this show and be pissed off because, you know, we're just speaking the truth here. But whether you agree with him or disagree with him, the one thing to understand and appreciate is that he never once did anything that was meant to harm another human being and never verbally or physically abused anybody. And I think that that is a big point in this that's getting lost in the shuffle.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with everything you just said. It's really it's really not much more I can say. The man is
1: he just pro- protested for peace. That's all he did. That coming from Marvin Graves, Monday morning quarterback and we appreciate having Marvin here as always. Marvin, really quick here, I just want to make mention of this. Since you, back in 1991, were the last team to go 4-0 and with you leading that team, I just figured that I would, I would let some people know some things in case they didn't know that Marvin Graves is in the record books at Syracuse for many different things, and I want to give you some praise here for what you're in the books for. Most pass attempts, Ryan Nassib is first, you are second. With 943 most completions, you're second behind Ryan Nassib with 563 most yards, you're second behind Ryan Nassib with 8,466 highest completion percentage, you are within the top five here with about 60%. Highest passing efficiency with a minimum of 250 attempts, you're second with a 142.4. Passer efficiency right behind Donovan McNabb. Most yards per attempt, nine yards per attempt, you're first in that category. Most yards per completion, you are fourth in this category. With 15 yards per completion, most yards per game, just under 197. You are first in Syracuse history with most yards per game and most touchdown passes for a quarterback. You're third behind Donovan McNabb and Ryan Nassib. So I would venture to say in every single category, you're in the top five, and a bunch of them, you're in the top two, and those records were just broken. By Ryan Nassib so I know that you may not say it but being in the top five all-time of Syracuse quarterbacks maybe it's time to see another number five up there at Syracuse as well
4: hey um I appreciate you running that down for me um some of that some of those stats I knew some of them I didn't um but hey again man uh, the numbers speak for itself um you know, again, I, I, whoever makes make those decisions. Um, if you do, great. If you don't, I'm still gonna be the same guy. I'm still gonna bleed orange. Um, but I, I definitely would think it would be a great thing for me and my family if that would have happened. Um, but in any event, like I said, um, I feel like you know uh, my my records. Um, well, I'll say my team's records because I got I got those records with the help of my coaching staff and my teams. Uh, with team success come individual honors and stats. So, um, again, if, if the people that uh, make those decisions see it fit for, you know, my jersey to hang in the Raptors, so be it, I'll be there. Uh, my family will be there, and um, I will really appreciate it. If it doesn't, I still appreciate you the same.
1: That coming from Marvin Graves and all the things that you did at Syracuse, tremendous. And, you know, to bring it all the way back 27 years later this season after this weekend to give a shout out to the 1991 team. So shout out some of your teammates because 27 years ago, 4 0. 27 years later, 2018, Syracuse is 4-0. It's been such a long time. You were a part of it. We've discussed it on today's show. You said it's not just me, it's my teammates. So shout out some coaches and, and some of your teammates that really just meant a lot to you and still mean a lot to you today.
4: Oh, man. Coaching staff, uh, Paul Pasqualone, a great first year, 10-2, uh bowl win against Ohio State, The big, bad Ohio State. Um, uh, coach Casulo uh, tight end special teams coach um, uh, My quarterback coach Kevin Rogers, I think Kevin Rogers that may have been his first year um, My teammates uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to the whole defense I mean they were they were phenomenal that year uh, Glenn Young Kevin Mitchell um, The list goes on and on Dwayne Joseph my boy Um yeah, Tony Jones back there at safety. You had uh, Shelby Hill, Quadre Ishmael, Chris Gedney, um, John Reagan, my whole offensive line, even the backup. Scott Hansen was on the team that works for the NFL Network. Um, you know, a, a bunch of great guys Curry Farrell, um, Pat O'Neill, the punter, uh, actually went and played for New England, um, Dave Walker. Uh, Al Wooten, my roommate, can't forget him. Uh, Marcus Lee, uh, Brian Picucci, uh, Kevin, uh, uh, Melvin Um uh, I mean, the list goes on and on, man. We had, we had a great, great uh, group of guys there from all over the world, and um, a lot of us still keep in touch today. So appreciate the shout out uh, to the '91 team. It was a great year for for the Syracuse Orange.
1: Absolutely, and now almost three decades later, Syracuse 4-0 again. Looking to be 5-0 on the road, and Marvin Graves says it's going to happen. Marvin, as always, I appreciate it. Love the Monday morning quarterback, and I can't thank you enough for waking up on a Monday morning and spending some time with us and hanging out with us here. So, From the fans and, and of college football, Syracuse, and in general, and as well as you know the DMC and, and just that entire area, or the DMV, I should say, with everything that uh, that you've done and you continue to do, thank you, and thank you for everything that you brought brought to Syracuse on behalf of the fans. I know that they remember you fondly and appreciate you and deservedly so.
4: Thanks a lot man and I appreciate you know guys like yourself and and definitely the Syracuse fans and all the players that have come through um, and everybody has any done anything for, for me um, as a player as a person. Um, I, I just love the Syracuse community and it'll be that way forever so. Um, I think the feeling is mutual, and I appreciate you, and I look forward to continuing being on the show.
1: Every Monday, Marvin Graves, Monday Morning Quarterback. Marvin, we'll talk with you next Monday. Appreciate it. All right, man. Have a great week. All right, you too. Take care. Bye bye. That coming from Marvin Graves once again. It's so cool. It is so cool. I got, and you know, yeah, I got to step aside from this for a second and say it's just cool. You know, you hear Monday morning quarterback, Monday morning quarterback this, a quarterback that. Our Monday morning quarterback is an actual quarterback. So our Monday morning quarterback analysis is coming from the eyes of a quarterback, from the legs of a quarterback, the arms of a quarterback, the brain of a quarterback. The You know, I, I, I just appreciate, I really do, Marvin Graves being a part of the show. I love it. And, you know, him being in the record books the way he is, tremendous, tremendous play that needs to be respected and remembered and appreciated, just like we finally did with Joe Morris. So big shout out to Marvin Graves and a big shout out to the 1991 team that was the last team to go 4-0 to start the season. Syracuse is doing it now. So you didn't think that, did you? We were all talking about this in 1991 and 27 years ago. Did you think you were going to be listening to a show Monday morning here in the Monday morning quarterback talk about how he was that team? He was 1991 with the guys that he just named, and he had the opportunity to go 4-0, and he's watching Syracuse 27 years later and believes that Syracuse can take down Clemson in Death Valley to do better than he did in 1991, and that is to start off the season 5-0. We'll take a step aside for a fast break. We'll come back on The Prowl in just a moment.
3: This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. spreading in historic Herald Square about Syracuse's favorite sports and entertainment venue, the Press Room Pub. With lots of room next to 450 parking spots, wash down their delicious nine-ounce burger for $9.95 with a variety of New York State brewed beers. TVs abound all throughout the location, including their 90-inch monster. Watch your game Enjoy time with family friends, as well as bringing the kids to the playroom. The SU alumni party for every away football game is making headlines, as well as Robert Drummond, Syracuse football alum, and Dan Satora's pregame show two hours before kickoff for every home game. Private parties available as well for as many as 300 people. Come circulate at the Press Room Pub downtown Syracuse and visit PressRoomPub.com right now for more information. Thank you so much for tuning in to this first
1: portion of our broadcast on Monday, September 24th of 2018 with the Monday Morning Quarterback featuring Syracuse quarterback Marvin Graves and myself, Dan Tortora. Make sure you listen in to the second portion of our show here from Monday, September 24th, featuring On the Prowl, which is our Jacksonville Jaguars coverage that happens every single week and our Jacksonville Jaguars coverage in the second hour of our Monday broadcast live on mixlr.com backslash DT at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, and of course, you just heard Marvin Graves, Monday Morning Quarterbacks at 9.15 a.m. Eastern Time on Monday mornings on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on that live stream of MixLR.com backslash dt So make sure you tune in to the second part of the show featuring Jacksonville Jaguars coverage and so much more on the prowl.